You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. I'm Michael Litchens, your CatholicExchange.com editor, and I'm here with Dawn Eden. Dawn Eden's latest book, it's a revised edition of The Thrill of the Chase. She's written several other books. She's a journalist. She's a bit of a coach to many of us young Catholic writers, also as a speaker, engaged in many events, and is currently studying at Mandolin Seminary for a doctorate. So, in other words, she's an all-around superstar. Dawn, it's a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. I think you're a superstar, Michael. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, it's our pleasure. And uh, to start us off, Dawn, as I said, we have this new book, The Thrill of the Chase, which I have on my desk right now. It's a revised edition. Can you tell us a little bit about this book? Sure. I wrote the revised edition of The Thrill of the Chaste because uh, I was asked by Ave Maria Press, for whom I had written my piece, I Give You, Healing Sexual Wounds with the Help of the Saints. Um, Mm -hmm. I was asked by them uh, if I would revise The Thrill of the Chaste for a Catholic audience. And that was actually something I wanted to do for years because I wrote the original version for a Protestant publisher while I was a Protestant. Mm -hmm. I converted... Uh, from Judaism, and after being Protestant for five years, I was studying to enter the Catholic Church when I wrote uh, the first edition of The Thrill, but I wasn't yet living the life of the sacraments. By the time The Thrill came out in December 2006, I had been living as a Catholic uh, for several months, and already I felt like the book was dated. So, you know, well, I, I, I suppose, you know, if one is being chased and hoping to to uh, get married, it's good to be dated, but <laughs> for a book, it's another story. You know, really, the original thrill of the chaste, um, it was true for me in 2005. It wasn't true for me when it came out in 2006 because I had discovered new things that mm. deepened my understanding about chastity. Just l- living within the life of the sacraments and the rhythms of the sacraments, living within the rhythms of Eucharist and confession, it changed my understanding of how I am to glorify God with my body. So uh, it was just uh, re- really a blessing to be asked to revise the, uh, the thrill. And also, the original thrill was only for women. And there were reasons I did that. I was new to mm-hmm. chastity, and I didn't want to assume what chastity would be like for men when I was so new to it myself. But now that I've been living as a chaste single woman for uh, more years, I really wanted to give something helpful to the many men who had read the original thrill and said, we need something like this for us. Mm -hmm. This new thrill is for everyone, men, women, uh, married, single, celibate. Okay, so it's a, in this new revised edition, it's really aimed at, for everybody, the Catholics who are called to the universal calling of chastity and whatever their position, is that correct? It really is. I mean, I think the people who are going to benefit from it the most uh, will be uh, singles uh, who are hoping for mm-hmm. marriage. But in it, I talk about vocational discernment. I also talk yes. about the nature of marital love. And I've heard from uh, married people uh, such as uh, Sarah Reinhardt, who wrote about mm-hmm. the book on the Catholic Mom website, that uh, and and also uh, Elizabeth uh, Scalia, who who wrote about the thrill on her Anchorist blog, 
Uh, married people are telling me that they learned things that helped them in their marriage from reading submissions. Oh, wow. So that, that makes me very thankful. Certainly, I can see that. What was that? I know it's almost like there's two books here, but what really spawned this idea for the book uh, to want to write about chastity? It's not a subject a lot of people think, oh, that's what I'll write about. <laughs> well, the, uh, the, the I'm glad you asked that, uh, Michael. The idea came to me because when I first became Christian after uh, living a as an agnostic for my adulthood and not having Christian faith in my background as a child, mm -hmm. um, I knew as a new baby Christian at the age of 31 that I had to start walking the walk. So mm -hmm. I went to the bookstore to find a book on chastity. And the only books that I could find were books on teen purity, yeah. books like this um, Protestant book called Lady in Waiting that has on, it had on the cover, you know, this sort of garden bench that was empty except for this sort of straw lady's hat on it with the ribbon flapping in the wind. And, you know, I opened up this lady in waiting book and I read, you know, this uh, female author writing, um, of course you have been saving yourself for your prince. And it was just like facepalm time, you know, Mike, like, <laughs> I thought, you know, sorry, lady, that train has left the station. You know, it's just so depressing. You know, to yes. <laughs> read these chastity books and, you know, you just want to despair. It's like, there is no hope for me. I am stained forever. Right. Some of them will talk about secondary virginity, which I would just like to blot that term secondary virginity from the language because i'm sorry people it sounds like a used car <laughs> doesn't it uh and by the way i grew up uh evangelical fundamentalist and that was actually my idea of what chastity books had to look like it was basically like really horrible analogies of like if you do this if you've ever even thought this you're done you're done it's over you're toast. And, yes that's right. yeah and like you said it's like a used car but not even a used car it's like you bought a a used Miata or something like that without an engine. It's like, there's nothing good about this. That's, that's right. You know, you hear these terrible analogies, like, you know, you hear people, you know, having to pass a rose around a classroom and pick one petal off it. Mm. Uh, or you hear about people um, taking a piece of tape and having to stick it on their arm and then pass it to the next person. And will this tape stick to anyone now that it's been stuck on everyone? No. And, you know, these terrible analogies that are all meant to show that that every time you have sex outside of marriage, it takes out a piece of you until there is nothing left and your life is over. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm not going to deny that, you know, there's some there is some uh, truth in that phenomenologically or experientially. Right. Um, but the thing is that anyone who has experienced that knows it. And if you know it, then to have someone tell you as if they're just speaking to a virgin and trying to scare a virgin, this is how it is, um, then all it does is quench hope. And even if you're speaking to someone who's a virgin, it's a problem because there's no distinction in these classroom talks or these teen purity books, you know, with the exception, I would say, of Jason and Christalina Everett, who do talk about abuse, mm -hmm. there, there's usually not a distinction between between willful loss of virginity and uh, and un, unwillful, um, where where someone uh, is 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 uh, abused, mm -hmm. um, and so uh, 
that's why I think that way of speaking is even unhelpful in speaking to virgins because it because if they have suffered abuse or if they then do suffer abuse it leaves them thinking that the abuse stained them when that's not actually what we believe as Catholics. Exactly. So this book was kind of a response to, uh, it seems like a, how a lot of books get published, kind of a response to a need that you were noticing that wasn't being met when you go to a regular Christian bookstore sometimes. That's exactly it. I wanted to, once I started to live chastely, I wanted to write the kind of book that I had wished was there for me when I mm-hmm. was new in the faith. And I, I'm really thankful that the original edition took off. I mean, it um, it, it sold, you know, this, this sounds funny. And, you know, I have to say to God, you know, honestly, God, I'm not complaining. But in a sense, the original book did too well because it sold so well that now when I tell people about the new thrill of the chase, people are like, oh, I have that. And it's like, well, no, you have the old edition. You right. have the new one. The new one is the one that, talks about the saints and sacraments and vocation. So I'm kind of campaigning against myself. It's a, it's a, what do you call it? Sybil versus Sybil or something. <laughs> right. It's a war of uh, the new dawn against the old dawn, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> right. Meet the new dawn, not the same as the old dawn. <laughs> right. And I know you talked about, you mentioned uh, vocations and also conversion. There's been a lot of discussion recently. I've been glad to say on CatholicExchange.com, we've talked a lot about the single vocation, uh, both myself, Judy Keene, and a few other folks. And Judy's working on a book now. Uh, what do you see, really, when we look at us, uh, now that especially among my fellow millennials, all of us in our early 30s and late 20s, a lot of single folks, do you have any general advice for those folks? You know, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I think that it is very good that we're talking about uh, the single uh, vocation from the perspective of how do we as as unmarried Catholics glorify God in in our in our lives and with our mm-hmm. our actions and our uh, relationships our, our chaste uh, relationships I, I think that sometimes uh, we get a little too hung up you know on the fact that the church um, only recognizes. Uh, marriage and celibacy, which is sometimes just referred to in the shorthand of virgi- virginity. And so sometimes that can lead those of us who are single and hoping for marriage uh, to feel that we are somehow missing on our on our vocation. Uh, but I think that's a sort of more of a category confusion between states of life. Because mm-hmm. if you're single and not yet married, what you're doing is closest to the celibate vocation, but it's really more simply just chastity. And your vocation is not um, primarily whether you are living chastely as a single or whether you are living chastely as a married. And chaste marriage means it includes the marital act. There's, there's yes. just a difference between marital chastity and single chastity. But But I'm saying, you know, if we look at what our critics say, you know, our critics accuse of, accuse us of being, you know, focused on the uh, pelvic issues. I'm speaking of critics of the church who say, oh, you're mm-hmm. focused on, uh, on, on sex. Now, I think that that accusation could just as well be thrown back at, at the critics, very much so. But I, I think that uh, if we were to find the tiniest bit of truth in that heresy, I do think that our culture not Catholicism, but the culture that mm-hmm. influences us as Catholics has us think that our vocation 
is primarily whether we're not having sex as as chase singles or whether we're engaging in the marital act as married people. But in mm. fact, our primary vocation is to holiness. And so yes. chastity is how we live out that primary vocation. So no one can tell a single Catholic who's living chastely, oh, won't it be nice when you live your vocation? A single Catholic who's living chastely is already living their vocation to holiness. And that's what I mm -hmm. stress in the new Catholic edition of The Thrill of the Chaste. Very good advice, and I fully agree with that. Within The Thrill of the Chaste, though, there's some discussion of vocations, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes, there, uh, there, there is. There's a chapter uh, called Answering the, the Call. That's uh, chapter 13. What areas of vocations do you explore in that chapter? Well, I, I really uh, fo focus on basically what I was just uh, sharing with you about how it's not so much that people who are called to celibacy have a vocation to celibacy. It's mm -hmm. the celibate vocation. Um, you know, one doesn't say to, you know, a monk or, an, or a religious sister, oh, isn't this great? You have a vocation to not have sex. No, no. Right. <laughs> it's not the focus. Right, right. They have a vocation to, to glorify God through a complete gift of self. Uh, and the vow of, uh, of chastity, which for them, you know, includes... Uh, celibacy is is really a vow uh, to make a complete self gift uh, to to God, so that there's um, no room to to give to God through a spouse. They're uh, just getting rid of the cutting the middleman or the middlewoman, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's how I encourage uh, singles to think about celibacy if they're. Dis discerning a celibate uh, vocation. I found that helpful in my own life because uh, I, since writing the original edition of The Thrill of the Chaste, I've discerned celibacy for myself. Uh, I've made a promise uh, of celibacy, uh, consecrating uh, myself uh, to Jesus' sacred heart through Mary's immaculate heart. And uh, currently I'm doing that on an annual basis, renewing the promise on my birthday uh, until such a time comes as I can concretize this in a um, vowed state of life, I feel that that call will come uh, under a diocesan uh, bishop. That's what I'm hoping for. But for me, for many years, I thought that I was not called to celibacy because I thought that people who were called to that received a kind of Teresa of Avila or Catherine, Catherine of Siena, like, you know, experience where Jesus comes to them and says, and says, you know, you are to be my bride or, you know, something, mm -hmm. something like that, uh, where it's um, bolt from the blue, some very positive experience that just says, yes, this is it. I don't need a man anymore because Jesus is my one, my, all, my only, my, my all. So I didn't have that. So that was why I thought uh, celibacy uh, was not for me and that I would just keep waiting until I found a, a husband. But what began to happen for me after I wrote the original um, Thrill of the Chaste, and then especially after I wrote my second book, My Peace I Give You, Healing Sexual Wounds with the Help of the Saints, on uh, healing from ch the wounds of childhood sexual abuse through the lives of saints who suffered abuse. After I wrote 
uh, those books, I would meet uh, so many people who were in need of healing and whom I felt I was helping through my books and through my talks. And I was also studying theology on the graduate level in hope mm -hmm. of being a professor. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that as much as I wanted to be married, it wouldn't be fair at this point in my life to uh, say to a potential husband, well, I'll marry you, but only if we can live wherever I get work as a professor and only if I can keep writing my books and giving my talks. You know, that's not a complete gift of self. Right. Um, so I, I realized that where I was getting the most joy, even though I was lonely, even though I wanted a husband, where I was getting the most joy was from my apostolate. And it was too much joy to was too much joy. If you can have too much of a good thing, it was too right. much joy to want to give up. So I, I talked with God and I just said, you know, if you don't want me to give this up, then you are going to have to be my everything. And what I found was that even though I haven't gotten any bolt from the blue or any, you know, fast-like mm -hmm. vision of Jesus, God has been giving me the grace day by day to live out this promise and to find increasing joy uh, in it. And also what I share in the Thrill of the Chaste Catholic Edition is that another thing that I thought was an obstacle to my uh, being consecrated was that I had suffered abuse. And I thought, you know, God, if he didn't, if, if, if he wanted me to be consecrated, then he wouldn't have permitted this abuse. He wouldn't have allowed me to have these wounds because, you know, these wounds, you know, they feel, one feels misplaced guilt, misplaced shame. One feels embarrassed because one may have um, sexual thoughts enter in that one doesn't wish to. Um, one may have memories of sexual abuse that 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 enter in, you know, that come at, at, which are always unwanted, but, you know, can come at especially unwanted times. And one can feel like, well, gosh, you know, this all means that God has not been preserving me for him alone. Um, otherwise, why would he have permitted this evil? But what I came to realize was that, in fact, God had always wanted me for himself. The, the evil things that happened will always be evil, but God is greater than these evil things. God has won the victory over sin. And especially through learning the lives of saints who suffered sexual abuse, I realized that God can even use this for good because he can use it to make me realize my dependence upon him and draw me closer to him. So all those are things that are in the new Catholic edition of The Thrill of the Chaste. Wow. And I I am ashamed to say I haven't read through those parts just yet. I'm still, there's so much in this book that I can't just sit down and read it like it's a beach novel, unfortunately. <laughs> but I'm trying. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Regarding, now uh, that's a subject that really is not touched upon, uh, the saints who have suffered abuse and managed to still turn it around. And unfortunately, I I've seen in a lot of emails, like people who have suffered various kinds of abuse as a child that still leave deep scars. And uh, there's some there for me as well. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about those saints who really helped you to overcome and to find those healings? Sure. Well, for me, the inspiration for writing my book on healing from abuse, mm -hmm. my piece I give you, Healing Sexual Wounds with the Help of the Saints. Uh, the, the inspiration was really from reading the story of Blessed Laura Vicuña, whose uh, story uh, I tell uh, in uh, chapter uh, five of my piece I give you. 
Blessed Laura's story um, shocked me because it was so modern and it was just one of the stories where I thought, wow, why don't people know about this? People need to hear about this. Uh, she was born in Chile. Her father died when she was very young and her mother moved with her and her sister to Argentina where her mother uh, became the uh, live-in lover, the concubine of a uh, rancher, um, Manuel um, Mora, if I remember correctly. And, um, and uh, this rancher, uh, Manuel, was very violent. Uh, and soon after Laura and her mother and sister moved in with Manuel, uh, Laura, who was, Laura was only about eight years old at the time, and uh, it became clear that the rancher was actually grooming her uh, to be his his muhair, his woman. And uh, it's so interesting. I was just reading an article online about Blessed Laura that completely omits this. The article says, uh, Laura was beaten to death because she was trying to convert her mother from adultery. No, that's not why Laura was beaten. Oh, wow. Laura, Laura, um, Laura was uh, beaten to death at the age of, of, of 12 uh, because, because uh, she was had for many years been been resisting this evil man. Uh, her mother had sent her away to boarding school because her mother recognized that Laura was in danger, but Laura got sick at boarding school and had to be sent home. Her mother got a safe house to take care of her, but, but uh, Manuel discovered the safe house and uh, rode up to on his horse. This was the early 1900s. And, uh, and grabbed Laura out of her sick bed, and and uh, actually she tried to run away from from him, but he caught her and uh, threw her onto his horse. And he only gave up on that when the neighbors came out, and he got scared, so he threw her off the horse, and uh, she died of those injuries. But as she was on her deathbed, she called her mother over and said to her, because in the room with her was a priest and a couple of her schoolmates. Uh, she asked to speak with her mother privately, and she said to her mother then that with the permission of her spiritual director at school, she had offered her life as an offering for her mother's conversion. And so her mother uh, tearfully told her, promised her that she, that she would leave Manuel, and so Laura smiled and said, now I can die happy. So when I read that for the first time, I just broke down crying because you know, you read stories of saints like Maria Goretti and how they forgave their abuser. This is different. Laura didn't just forgive her abuser. She forgave the parent who had been permitting the abuse for years. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah, that uh, that was very powerful for me, having suffered abuse uh, uh, by one of my mother's boyfriends when I was, when I was a child after my parents' divorce. Uh, so uh, that was what motivated my piece I gave you. I just felt people need to know this because stories like that are, are very are very healing. Yes, they are, and uh, that's one of the things that I know drew me to Catholicism was to hear of saints who did not have a perfect life, who in fact had many of them had the type of lives that most of us could not wish on our worst enemies, and yet still found peace and healing. Yeah, and for me, that is the greatest draw of the church. This is real life, but we find a way to deal with it, and that's amen for many of us. I think the great draw. And I'm going to look her up. I hope I'll be sure to refer our readers to that, to Blessed Laura as well. Great. Thank you. Of course. And a final question as we 
wind down this podcast, I just wanted to know, I know you talked about your conversion in the book, and it's something very powerful to come from your background through Protestantism into Catholicism. Could you give us a quick version of how that all went about? <laughs> well, sure. I, I do have a chapter in the new thrill of the chaste cast yes. edition called my journey home to Rome. That's one of several all new chapters in mm-hmm. the chaste. And in it, I talk about how uh, I was a rock journalist uh, living very far from God, uh, but uh, really uh, having this uh, longing, I definitely had the, the God shaped uh, vacuum that we read about in Pascal and C.S. Lewis. And of course, uh, Augustine. Um, but I just, uh, didn't know that this longing was really for Jesus because I had thought that Christianity was just for conformists and I desperately wanted my own identity. Uh, yes. So uh, it, it God uh, really began to make himself known to me um, through, uh, through the most uh, unexpected uh, encounter where I was interviewing by phone a member of a rock band called the Sugar Plastic. This was when I was 27, and uh, I thought I'd ask him a very intelligent question because I was always looking for affirmation, and so I asked him what he was reading, and he said he was reading a novel by this author I'd never heard of, G.K. Chesterton, <laughs> a novel called The Man Who Was Thursday. And so after the interview, I went and picked up uh, the novel, uh, just thinking that I would read it and then be able to impress uh, this musician uh, the next time he uh, came to town. And mm-hmm. so I, I picked it up and was, as I, as I tell in The Thrill of the Chaste, uh, there were many things in that novel that gave me a, a vision of Christianity that I had not received before. But one line that really struck me was where one of the characters is speaking about what constitutes true poetry. And the character says, the most poetical thing in the world is not being sick. And I remember reading that, and I was suffering at that time from cyclical suicidal depression, which I now know to have been undiagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder from my childhood abuse. And I was on three mood medications at the time, which weren't really helping. And I remember when I read the most poetical thing in the world is not being sick, I just felt inside me this deep desire to have my life ordered from the top down and to know the poetry of not being sick. Uh, So that began a journey that four years later led me into into Christian faith uh, as a Protestant at age 31. And then uh, after uh, several more years of wanting to be anything but Catholic, you know, ABC, Yes, I, I finally became RC. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God for that. We, I say this as an adult convert as well. It's good to have you, and it's good to have you speaking and writing about these things. Thank, thank you, Michael. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity uh, to share about my books and my apostolate. Oh, it's our pleasure as well, Don. Thank you so much. We'll put links down uh, for all of you listening at home. We'll have links down on Catholic Exchange's website where you can pick up Don's book as well as learn more about the many subjects we talked about today. Don, thank you so much for having yourself here, and I'm sure our readers will appreciate it as well. Thank you, Michael. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Don. And that was, once again, Don Eden. Don Eden is an author, speaker, and all-around great person. 
It was a pleasure having John Heaton here, as always. And thank you for listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Go to CatholicExchange.com. You can pick up the show notes, find Dawn's books, and also see about scheduling her for your parish. Thank you once more for joining us. I am Michael Litchens, and you have been listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. God love you. Have a wonderful week.